Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. About this time, we have the privilege of um, praying over and praying for all of our students. So, inviting Molly to come on up and join us. And all of our students and your backpacks, if you brought stuff, you guys can come on up here and bring things. And we'll pray over you and your backpacks. How about that this year? Because uh, we want to uh, give you a tag, letting you know we've prayed over you. And just um, knowing as well that we've got students who are not represented here this morning that we'll be praying for and lifting up in prayer. So, um, it's all yours, Molly. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, we just want to take a couple of minutes and um, pray for all of our students going back to school. Um, we want to pray for anyone from preschool, um, junior high, high school, um, all the way to college. So um, if you brought your backpacks, um, Please bring them up now if you have not brought your backpacks. Um, it would be nice if, um, can, I, can I come to the front? Yeah, it'll take yeah, I would love it if um, the students would come up front and gather up front and stand up here so that we can pray over you today. Um, like I said, whether you're in high school or college, um, I saw some of the students downstairs, so um, we'll pray for them. Um, Morgan, are you the only one? Anybody else want to join Morgan up here? Any Sunday school teachers or teachers or parents that would like to... Um, uh, gather up here and join us, um, stand behind them uh, to support them. Um, would love for you to come up. Um, we are going to uh, give you all a tag, one of these, to put on your backpack um, uh, for the school year. And I'm going to read our verse for this year for 2021. And it says, so be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And that's found in Deuteronomy 31.6. And um, make sure everyone gets one of those. Um, before we pray, I just I wanted to share something. I don't know why. No, it's, I'm shy. Sorry. <laughs> Um, it's, it's so very important that others pray for you other than yourself. It's so very important that others pray for your children other than yourself. Um, the Lord hears every single prayer. He listens to every single prayer. And he answers every single prayer according to his will. And I wanted to share this with you because... We have that in our family. We have people in our family that pray for us, that pray for my children, other than myself. And about a month ago, I was um, going through a bunch of books, and I was keeping some and getting rid of some. And this book kept surfacing at the house, and I don't know why. I just kept telling myself, I don't know why, but don't throw it out. Um, has nothing to do with the title, which is, it's The Lost Medallion. Um, my mother-in-law gave this book to my son, when he was 11 years old. And right, was, 
when I was ready to throw it out. I found this on the inside, uh, some writing, and I want to read it to you. Um, and it says, Dear Shane, but I'm going to change it to Dear Students. Okay. Dear Students, may you never lose sight. Uh, this was given to him at Christmas time. May you never lose sight of the real meaning of Christmas, God's gift of his son. May you always be aware of how special you are to God and how much you are loved by him. He cares for you so much. He cares for you so much that in Matthew 10:30 it says, "The very hairs of your head are numbered and to not be afraid." May you always remember that no matter what obstacle, trial, or difficulty you encounter, that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Philippians 4:13. And then she continued to say, "Last of all, may you be assured that as long as I have breath in me, I will love you and be there for you. Much love to my wonderful grandson this Christmas and always, Grandma. If you could stand with me so we could um, pray for the students today. If you could bow your heads. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we lift these students to you today. As they stand here ready to receive your blessings, as they commit themselves to study and learning in this school year ahead. We ask your blessing on each of them. Please bless these backpacks as they are carried from home to school and back again. And as these scriptures hang from them, may each student be reminded of the love and care this church family has for them. We pray for their protection and safety that you will provide for them. We pray for the teachers and the administrators in our schools that they may also be sustained by your blessing. May these students recognize your power in their life. May they go to school with joy in their hearts and with their heads lifted high. They are all precious in your sight. Give them the strength and the confidence they need as they enter into school doors every day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got a student and you want to get a tag to share with them, letting them know their church loves them and prayed for them, even at a distance, please be sure to come up and grab one of the tags that uh, you can put on your students' backpacks before the uh, end of the day today. A couple of quick announcements as we get ready to dive back into Habakkuk. First, uh, an evening of prayer this coming Friday night. I realize it's kind of a last-minute notice, but we mentioned it early on in this month that we would maybe have something uh, this coming Friday night, 7 to 9 p.m. here at the church, we're going to wrap up our month of prayer just by gathering and having an open building with prayer prompts and communion available. And it's time for you to have an opportunity to come and just be at peace and spend some time in prayer. A lot of our lives are so busy. And if we try and, and relax or try and find some peace in the living room or the dining room or even a closet, something always happens. And so coming to this sanctuary coming to this place that's been set apart for worship is oftentimes one of the best options we have for really getting into some, some time of prayer and communion with God. So just want to invite you, if you're a couple, maybe plan on having a spiritual date night where you come and pray together for a, a little while and then go grab something quick to eat and make the most of your night. If you have family, you can come as a family uh, or invite other friends, come as a peer group and 
pray together and spend this time together and then go, uh, you know, decompress at Waffle House and take your life into your own hands with a choice like that. But, but uh, you know, really spend some time together in addition to this time in prayer. So just want to invite everybody, open sanctuary, 7 to 9 p.m. this coming Friday night. We'll have prayer guides, prayer prompts, and communion available for you to partake of, whether you're alone, as a couple, as a family, or as a peer group. Uh, it's a chance to join together. A quick thing for teachers, everybody who has volunteered to teach in our upcoming Sunday school, you should have been getting emails and reminders about this all along, but this is me standing up here saying, be here next Sunday after service, light lunch, quick meeting, no, long, no more than about 45 minutes to an hour, and it's really going to lay down for you exactly what Sunday, uh, Sunday Bible School will look like and what your role as a teacher will be. So I encourage you to join us next Sunday right after service. And then last thing as announcements go is we are going to have our Back to Church Sunday, September 19th. It's an opportunity to say to all of your friends and relatives who maybe have not been engaged in church throughout the last year or so, hey, come join us. We're going to have lunch together. Uh, we're going to have a sermon that reminds us of the importance of church and gets us going on the book of Philippians. And if you would like an invitation, this year we had the privilege of uh, working with a company who could do specialized air fresheners. And you might go, well, why air fresheners? And I answer, well, why not? Isn't it better than just a little card that says, hey, come to church? Uh, and so you've got an air freshener, a little card on the front that says, when life stinks, give church a try. And uh, it's got all the information for Back to Church Sunday on it as well and our church website. So just want to encourage you, to, if you've got some folks that you would like to invite to church, grab a couple of air fresheners. We only have a hundred, um, but... So, so please be good stewards. Don't like grab a dozen in you know, great faith and then give out one. Instead, take what you know you will give away the, every week over the next few weeks up to September 19th and invite those friends and family members and neighbors who are maybe like you struggling with the way the world is tending nowadays and yet they don't even have the hope that you have because they don't have Christ or a church family. So invite them back to church this Sunday September the 19th, using one of the great air fresheners. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, open it up to the small prophetic book of Habakkuk. It is in the, uh, the back half of the Old Testament. Kind of go to the middle of the Bible and go just a little bit further toward the back, and you should find Habakkuk. Um, and we have been going through this book so far, and first we began with a look at Habakkuk's world and understand that it is uh, the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, actually, the divided, David's kingdom divided in half. And this is the good kingdom uh, whose capital was Jerusalem, and they had some good kings. But in the life of Habakkuk, he had nothing, experienced nothing but evil rulers who led the people astray and led them into things like worship of false gods and witchcraft and literal child sacrifice and practices of injustice and a failure to follow God's laws. There was a trust in treaties and governments instead of a trust in God himself. And there was this constant killing of the innocent in order to preserve the power structures of those who were oppressors and in authority. And so we see in Habakkuk's world or actually we see in our own world a reflection of what Habakkuk's world was. 
uh, one that was twisted up and sideways, where we can't trust leaders, where our, our, our culture is, is trending differently than we ever expected, where life is not valued in a way that we believe it should be according to Scripture, where people are following after false gods and putting their hope in things and governments instead of their God. And Habakkuk opens up with just a pronouncement or a, 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 a declaration that this is the prophecy, the, the oracle, the burden that the prophet Habakkuk saw. So he had this genuine interaction with God that began with this one question. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? We can see in Habakkuk's cry to God, some of uh, our same prayers at night. God, how long? God, why? God, why is the world like this? And, and God answers this first prayer of Habakkuk we saw last week with an answer that was not necessarily what Habakkuk would have wanted or longed for. And God says to Habakkuk in response to his question of how long and why are things so bad, he says, look at the, at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Now, if we were of a certain persuasion as a church, we would just read this verse and tell you about how good stuff's going to be. Uh, you know, just, you, you won't believe what God's going to do on your behalf. But God flips the script on Habakkuk in the very next verse and says, I want you to see something. This is what you won't believe. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. Habakkuk cries out to God and says, God, why is my culture, why is my country, why are my people so desperately wicked, and why haven't you done something about it? And God says, I'm getting ready to. I'm going to send even worse people to destroy you. That is not what Habakkuk expected. Now remember, we talked last week about God always answers our prayers. And sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's wait. Well, here is God's answer to Habakkuk's prayer. And God is telling Habakkuk, yes, I am bringing judgment just like you wanted. And Habakkuk is going, no, God, that is not what I expected. That's not the way I expected you to do things. And so we end up now with Habakkuk's second prayer or complaint to God. So Habakkuk has said, God, fix the injustice of my world. And God says, I am going to fix the injustice of your world by destroying your world with people that you won't like. And so Habakkuk begins to cry out to God again. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. And we're going to check out the end of chapter 1, the very beginning of chapter 2, and see in it here Habakkuk's second complaint to God. So here is how it picks up in, in chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My Holy One, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? 
You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. The Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things their portion is rich and their food plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually, continually slaughter nations without mercy? So I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So Habakkuk is, is talking to God. He's raising this issue. God has revealed his plans to him. He's made it very clear that he is going to answer Habakkuk's prayer with the utter destruction of Habakkuk's people. And so Habakkuk begins this second prayer in praise to God. He asks this question, Are you not from eternity, Lord my God? And, and the way this is structured in the original language this is a rhetorical question that demands an affirmative answer. In other words, when Habakkuk asks this question, it is almost the same as stating that God is from eternity, that God has this big picture in mind. And it, Habakkuk is acknowledging that. He's, he's looking to God once again and saying, God, I, I understand that you see the big picture. My Holy One, you will not die. God, I understand that you are beyond me, that you will not experience death. You will not experience the end of your existence because you see everything and you are alive forevermore and you are outside of the scope of both my understanding and my own experiences. So Habakkuk is really saying, God, you're God. I get that. I understand. And then he makes this other statement. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Habakkuk understands that it is God's deliberate choice to send the Babylonian Empire, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans, to Judah to wipe out these people whom God says he loves and are chosen, who've been disobedient to him. God is the one who's going to send wicked people to execute judgment. He's the one that's going to send the Chaldeans to punish the faithlessness of the people of Judah. He's going to respond to their rejection of him by rejecting them and using what we would see and acknowledge readily as an evil kingdom, the Babylonians, in order to execute this judgment. So Habakkuk begins his second prayer or second complaint with this clear statement of, God, you're in control. I know you're in control. I get that. I submit to that. This is your choice. This is what you have decided to do. But then he begins to respond to God with some statements about the very character of God. And by doing so, he's essentially questioning God's choices. He's saying to God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. 
So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? God, you're big, you're in control, you have the, 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 the vision to do whatever you want, you have the power to do however you desire. <coughs> Excuse me, I understand you have established the Chaldeans to do this, to punish us, to bring justice in your own way, but why? Why are you doing it with these people? I mean, an army of angels? I, I could get that, God, right? I mean, some, some holy people off in the corner that come and, and wipe us out, maybe, but people like this? Habakkuk is in praising God, saying to him, I acknowledge this is your plan, but you're holy. Why are you using unholy people, God? You're faithful. Why are you using faithless pagans? Why are you punishing people who are your own, who are mistaken and bad and unrighteous, but not that unrighteous? Why, why are you using a worse evil to punish a lesser evil, God? It, can anybody identify with any of these kinds of questions? As we look at the world around us and we go, God, why do good things happen? I mean, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Why, why, why does the world work like it does? Why, why do people who worship a, a God of, of violence and destruction, why do they get to come in and find authority when, when there are Christians, your own chosen people, your own called out people who are pushed to the side and, and persecuted? God, why, why do you do things the way that you do? Because I know that you're holy. Because God, I, I, I know that, that you don't even like to look on evil. So why are you using people like this to do your plans, to do your will? Why, why are you quiet when, when bad people do these kinds of things? Now, I, I think this is a problem that a lot of us struggle with as we look at our world, and, and this is actually one of the big issues in dealing with a, defending our faith. Or why, why is there evil? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I'm going to give you an answer that is logical and biblical, but it probably won't feel satisfying to you emotionally. Because when we look at evil, we go, that's not fair. And we don't, we don't measure it through the eyes of God. We don't measure it through the plans of God. Instead, we measure it by our own judgment and what we feel is right and wrong. I had a discussion. Was that just last Sunday, Will, or was that two Sundays ago? It was last Sunday. It feels like a month of Sundays ago. Oh, my goodness. Um, either I'm getting old and time is passing weirdly or yes. So anyway... Um, but, but it was just last Sunday having a discussion. So, so how can a good God use evil people to do things that look evil, but he says are good? And, and I think that, that we all struggle with this as we look at the world around us and wonder, how could a good God allow the world to go this way? Allow those people to have authority. Allow these things to happen in my life and the lives of others around us. And this is a struggle that, that is 
been a discussion in Christianity, especially since its birth. And the answer to this is that, first of all, God does not do evil. God does not perpetrate evil. Scripture is so very clear on that. God is perfectly good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Everything He does for us is good. And yet we would look at this and go, but, but how is it that God could use the Chaldeans to wipe out the kingdom of Judah? That doesn't seem good to me. It doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't feel fair. And the answer to that is we have to see our world to the best of our abilities through the scope of God's eyes, through, through a, a perception of his great plans. You, you see how Habakkuk talks to God? He says to him, are you not from eternity? And the answer to that is yes. And so if God is from eternity, if God can see the big picture, if it looks terrible to us in the moment, but he says it's good, who's right? God. If he looks at it and says, this will accomplish the perfect plans I have for mankind, it will bring people closer to me in the end. But it's going to hurt for a while. Shouldn't we be able to say, so be it, Lord. Your plans are good. I, I don't like it, but your plans are good. And see, that's the problem, is oftentimes, as people, we look at something and say, we don't prefer that outcome. We don't prefer that methodology, and we declare that to be evil, because we don't like it or it's destructive, or it's hurtful, or it costs. And the things that we think are good are the things that are pleasing. You know, coffee, that's good. That's a good gift of God, right? Decaf, not as much, but you know, I still take it from a God as, as a blessing. And, and, and so we, 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 we think, it, oh, that's pleasing, this is good. But guess what? Loss can be good. Suffering can be good. Destruction by evil people can be good in God's economy, in the grand scope of things. Now, if you look at that and go, that's not fair, I don't like it. Perfect. You understand it. You understand it's not fair. You don't like it. You don't have to like it, though. Because what God declares to be good is what is good because God himself is good. Wayne Gruden, one of my favorite uh, theologians, uh, has written some really good stuff. Uh, also written some stuff that you kind of go, what? But lots of really good stuff. He's got a book called Systematic Theology. It's about this thick. You could read the whole thing if you wanted to. I don't think you need to to be a good believer, but there's some good stuff in there. And when he's talking about the goodness of God, this is what he says. What is good? Good is what God approves. We may ask then, why is what God approves good? We must answer, because he approves it. And we can read that and go, some of you guys have taken some philosophy classes and you go, wait, that's circular reasoning. It is a little bit, but it's biblical truth. 
it is good because God approves it. Now we ask, well, what makes that good then? So he goes on and explains. That is to say, there is no higher standard of goodness than God's own character and his approval of whatever is consistent with that character. So I hope you can wrap your mind around this a little bit to say, when we say something is good or bad, we are judging it based upon our own scale of what is good or bad. And usually that is what is pleasing or displeasing. What seems right or fair to us or what seems unfair to us. But what scripture makes very clear to us is that everything that God declares good is good because he could do nothing but good in the sense that his character will not allow him to perpetrate evil. He can't be evil because he's not evil. Batman, a little evil, right? You, you could expect Batman to do something a little shady. Superman? Nah. Truth, justice, the American way. Come on. And it's that way with God. We look at his character and he is unable to perpetrate evil because he is good by nature. And so everything that he does is good because it flows from him. And we could stand in judgment of it and go, that doesn't feel fair. That's okay. It's still good because it's from God. That doesn't feel right to me. It's okay. It's still good because it's from God. I don't like that. It's evil. No. It's good because God has declared it to be his plan and his purpose. This is a difficult answer, isn't it? But we don't have a God that gives us little easy-peasy, um, like lollipop and lemon pie kind of answers. He deals with reality and says there is evil, there is sin, there is struggle. But the beautiful thing of it is that even as men choose evil, I will make good of it. Anybody remember the story of Joseph? Not the coat of many colors part. Uh, that's the happy part, right? The unhappy parts where his brothers, they throw him into a cistern, a well. They dig him out, they sell him to slavers who take him to Egypt and sell him as a slave. He gets up and is a good slave in a leading official's household. That leading official's wife takes a, a hankering to Joseph. You remember? She kind of liked him on the sly and tried to trick him into to being unfaithful to her husband. He says no. She gets him thrown into prison. He's in prison. He ends up working his way up in prison, serving the prison master. Has two people come to him for dream interpretations. One gets beheaded. <laughs> the other one gets restored. It takes years before that one who is restored remembers the favor that Joseph had done, of the powerful things that Joseph had done, the way that God had spoken to Joseph. And so it takes years for Joseph's story to unfold. He finally sees his brothers again, the ones who had sold him into slavery. And he says to them in an act of forgiveness, what you guys meant to do to harm me, God used all of this brokenness and bitterness and pain and struggle to do good in all of our lives because Joseph ends up saving Egypt and all of his family from a severe famine. What, what you thought was evil, what you thought was your desires and your devices and your wrongdoing ended up being God's blessings 
for all of us. We see it in Jesus. Jesus prays to God, if you remember three times, please don't let me die like this, in essence. If there's any other way, can we do it that way? God answers his prayer with a resounding no. And the evil of crucifixion, the suffering of a man results in your salvation and mine. The persecution of the early church, we watch it unfold and we wonder, why God did you allow Christians to be consumed by lions, lit up like tiki torches, beheaded? Why God did you allow those kinds of things? And we look at it and the big picture is so that you and I could be believers today and sit here in an air-conditioned room enjoying the privileges of a relative amount of freedom and worshiping God. All the evil, all the things that we look at and say, this is so terrible, God's plan is to bring good out of them. Now, Habakkuk continues, and he's in his prayer to God, he, he begins an extended metaphor of the nations and Babylon. And he begins to talk about fish. Some of us, this should be just perfect. Uh, <laughs> fishing is like, you know, it's, it's a perfect example of just life. And Habakkuk says to God, in, as he's dealing with this, this, this difficult task of, of reconciling God's holiness and his perfection with God using wicked people to accomplish his good means, he says this, You have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler. So this metaphor begins, and, and um, Habakkuk continues it by bringing the Chaldeans into the picture. He says, the Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things... Their portion is rich and their food plentiful. So this metaphor, Habakkuk is saying, we're all like fish, God. And the Chaldeans, they're like ruthless fishermen who are hooking us and netting us. And these fishermen are so pleased with their own destruction that they are worshiping the very tools they use to destroy us. They are lifting up and exalting these very tools that they're using to, to persecute, to destroy, to rip down, to, to enslave, because it's by these very tools that they are well-fed and rich. <laughs> I think, you know, if you just ponder this long enough, you can, you can just say, oh my goodness, the parallels. As we watch powerful people use the tools of destruction to enrich themselves, and enslave and consume the world around them. And then Habakkuk asks this question of God in the same metaphor. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? God, we're the fish, they're the fishermen. Are you always going to let it be like this? It just doesn't seem right to me, God. It doesn't seem fair. You say it's good, but I'm struggling with that. And then Habakkuk 
finishes up his complaint or his prayer this way. He says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. In other words, it's kind of like that the caller who calls into a radio show. You've all heard it, you know, long-time listener, first-time caller. I just had this real quick question, and I'll hang up as soon as I'm done and listen for your answer. And, and this is, this is kind of what Habakkuk is doing with God. He's like, hey, God, you know, long-time listener, first-time, uh, well, second-time prayer here, and I just I want you to know here's everything I have to ask. I'm going to hang up and just wait for your answer. And that's what he does. He just waits for God to answer. And I think that we have to have this kind of mindset in our own life as well, understanding it is perfectly reasonable for us to go, God, I see who you are. I see what your plans are. I don't like any of them. And I'm just going to wait for you to answer, to give me some hope, to give me some direction here, God, because I simply am not pleased with what's going on. Sometimes we get in a mindset thinking, you know, that, that to submit to God is to be silent and just go, yes, sir. But sometimes submission to God is a little more complex than that. And it looks more like Habakkuk here. You are God. You are powerful. You have every right to do this. I understand your plan, but I don't like a bit of it. Why are you doing it this way, God? And yet, I will sit and I will wait for your answer because I believe you have one for me. And remember, when we pray, what does God always do? He always answers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. And we're going to see how God answers Habakkuk here in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. So chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, this is God's answer to Habakkuk's complaint or prayer. God says this, chapter 2, verse 2, The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets, so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and like death he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. So God gives Habakkuk an answer. And he tells, tells Habakkuk to, to take everything I'm going to tell you and everything we've already discussed, Habakkuk, and I want you to record it on tablets and he was not talking about iPads, just so you know, right? Putting it in context, it's clay tablets where they would have used sticks or, or little, little pieces to, to write in the clay to record this prophecy, this discussion. So Habakkuk is supposed to write it all down so that it could be easily read. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, here's God's answer, Wait for it. Wait for it. So this is actually an interesting answer. God is giving Habakkuk kind of a yes and kind of a wait for it. Aren't you just? Aren't you righteous? Don't you make things right? And God is saying, I am and I will make everything right. The day is coming 
when everything will be made right. Until then, wait. Yes, now wait. Since it will certainly come and not be late. Now, we can look at the big picture just in, in this right here in Habakkuk's life and see something very specific about the answer to prayer in Habakkuk's life. Because the Chaldeans, they rose up, they conquered the kingdom of Judah, and within about 50 years, they are completely wiped out by the next empire, the Persian empire that comes and destroys the Chaldeans, the Neo-Babylonians, wipes them out because of their wickedness. And so we see this cycle of God using a nation to judge a nation and then using a different nation to judge that nation. And that cycle has continued unabated for a couple of thousand years at least. So God says, your answer is yes and it will come, but you need to wait. I will pass judgment on these wicked and evil people. I will complete this cycle of righteousness. And then he goes on to describe, oh, I missed verse 3. Oh, it's in there. Sorry. Sometimes I miss my own slides somehow. Uh, but wait, it's happening. And then he begins to describe the Babylonian Empire. He says, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. That sounds, sounds like, so, it's just government, right? <laughs> look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. We could just, we could go up and on the, on the internet start scrolling through pictures of many of our governmental leaders and just talk about, yep, 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 describes them to a T. Could describe us too. Were we in positions of authority and not submitted to God? Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. And then God says this to Habakkuk, but the righteous one will live by his faith. He says, Habakkuk, I want you to understand something. Judgment is coming for those who are unrighteous. But the righteous one will live by his faith. And, and there are discussions about exactly what this means because the Hebrew is a, is a little squishy, but the gist of it essentially is the one who is right with God will continue to walk with God in obedience and trust. No matter what the circumstances are around them, the one who is right with God will continue to walk in obedience and faithfulness and trust with that same God. Now, the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews, they use the second half of Habakkuk 2 for in their own writings. They reiterate it in the New Testament. And it gives us this brand new picture. In the Old Testament under Habakkuk, it was... You're going to make it through this stuff, Habakkuk, when you walk in obedience to what I've already told you. When, you. when you walk in faithfulness in your relationship with me. But here's what the New Testament tells us about this verse. It has a brand new application under Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul writes in one, Romans 1.17, For in it, the gospel, which he mentions in verse 16, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So in other words, we get to see the right working of God, the justice of God revealed to us through the good news of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect and sinless life. The Son of God incarnate 
and then died on a cross for your sins and mine, absorbing the wrath of God, paying the price for everything that you have done wrong, all of your unrighteousness. Jesus paid for it on the cross. And then he was buried in a tomb and rose again on the third day to prove that he really is the Son of God, that his death really counted for your salvation if you will believe, and that he really can give you brand new life and protect you from the evils of this world. Here's, here's what it is. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from the faith of the Old Testament to the faith of the New, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. But it's changed, because in the Old Testament, under Habakkuk, when he originally wrote this, the righteous will live by faith meant the righteous will be obedient to the law. In the New Testament, it reveals to us that none are good, none can be obedient, None can be just, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now the righteous will live by faith. And faith in what? Faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel. When times are tough, when things are desperate, when the world is wicked, Habakkuk was told, walk in obedience. In the New Testament, we're told, walk in submission to Jesus. Make him the king of your life. Worship him as the one true God who lived and died to make you right by his sacrifice. Galatians 3.11, Paul reiterates this and he says, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. In other words, you want to be in a right place with God. You want to be able to walk through the fiery furnace. You want to be able to, to survive in the lion's den. Nowadays, in this era of God's work amongst us, it is to walk and live in submission to Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews, which a couple of you would say is Paul, and it, I don't think it is. Actually, I don't know because it doesn't say. But uh, that was just like a freebie, right? Um, the writer of Hebrews says this, but my righteous one will live by faith. And God is, is declaring over us, we are his when we live by faith and trust in Jesus Christ goes on to say, if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. In other words, it is those who continue to live in faith who will be assured of God's pleasure and presence in their life. Those who continue to live in faith. And so we go all the way back and look at Habakkuk again. And, and, and God is saying to Habakkuk, look at the wicked. Their ego is inflated and they are without integrity. Look at them. And I wanted you to, to just take a moment and look in the mirror. If you were described as being egotistical and lacking integrity, then you are amongst those who will ultimately face judgment at the hand of God. But the righteous one, the one who's in right standing with God, the one who will make it through the difficult times, no matter what happens around them, the one that will survive is the one who lives by faith. And Paul and the writer of Hebrews tell us that that faith today must not be just a general faith in, oh, I believe in God or I'm trying to be a good person, but a specific 
genuine faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's how we make it through difficult times. That's how we make it through darkness and destruction. It's not by being good people or good preppers or whatever, but instead by being faithful servants in submission to Jesus Christ. This is what it means for the believer to walk through difficult times. Not work hard, fight hard. No, submit fully to your Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we don't work and fight a little bit from time to time, but it must begin with submission. Habakkuk, God continues to tell Habakkuk about the life of the unrighteous that he will judge. These Chaldeans specifically, but some general descriptions about how they are and what they look like that are once again apropos to our culture. Moreover, wine betrays this very same person who in verse 4 has an ego that's inflated and is without integrity. Now that we see his life in action, we see that he is continually betrayed by wine. An arrogant man, never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, hell. And like death, he is never satisfied. This in, I, I love being an American. But in some ways, this describes the American dream, doesn't it? Oh, what is, why do we work? Why do we do? Why do we fight? So we can have more. Our appetites are never satisfied. We are betrayed by our own lusts and the things that we consume. We always want more. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. We want to be in charge like the Chaldeans did. You see, Habakkuk and God together are giving us this picture of why do the evil prosper? Why, God, would you do things this way? And God is saying, I'm doing, this way because, I'm doing it this way because it's what's best, but I want you to know that full justice will come. And until that day arrives, you will survive by walking in faith. For the Christian today, you will survive or in the Christian era, you will survive by walking in submission to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and faith in Him. And if we can describe ourselves as arrogant or inflated in ego or we can see ourselves as lacking integrity or betrayed by wine or always wanting more, then there is a very good chance that we are on the side of the Chaldeans instead of on the side of the faithful and the right. Today, though, simple question to answer. How do we cope with destruction, despair, and wickedness? How, how, do we, how do we deal with it? A lot of us, we're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and we think that we deal with these things by ranting. Maybe we think we, we deal with these things by falling into the very, the very things that God is here condemning in Habakkuk, drinking and seeking more and trying to make ourselves content or happy, trusting after our own power or authority or the power of a, or authority of a government. How do we cope then with destruction or despair or wickedness? How do we really make it through these days, brothers and sisters? 
the righteous one will live by faith. The, the righteous one will, will walk every day trusting the hand of God. The righteous one will walk through this life fully submitted to God through Jesus Christ and understanding that it's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we have any hope for anything. How do we answer the questions that keep coming up around us? The first and most important answer is Jesus. And I realize that that feels kind of trite sometimes. It, it feels kind of churchy. Guess what? We're in church. And we are the church. And it is our answer. The answer to every question, if we're honest, according to God's word, is Jesus. I'm lost. I'm confused. Jesus. I'm scared. Jesus. The world seems wrecked beyond repair. Jesus. Both as the hope of salvation and the final judge who will come and make all things right and destroy the wicked in time. You see, we've been given this promise that Jesus is our answer and faith in him is what will get us through what is to come. Now, I do encourage you, buy a couple extra weeks of dry goods, right? Have some bottled water on hand. Be prepared for bad things. Think about what you might do if the roads get closed and we're not allowed in the church building. Think about what you might do and how you might respond if things go sideways. But do not worry. Do not despair. Do not get stuck in a place where you give up on your Jesus and submit to the evils of this world, but instead continue to walk in faith because God has been so very clear for each and every one of us. The righteous one will live, will prosper, will make it through these dark days by his faith. And in this era of God's relationship with mankind, that faith, is always summed up in do you walk with Jesus or do you not? This morning, I want to encourage you, if you've never made a profession of faith, you've never really answered that question, do I belong to Christ, that you earnestly consider it. I'm not a pastor that likes to do altar calls or let's sing just as I am for 20 minutes until somebody comes up here and then, then we'll make sure things are right. But, but I believe and I trust in you as individuals to take the time when you hear the importance of the gospel, the importance of faith in Christ, that you will measure where you stand on your own. Take a moment and really wrestle with God earnestly and ask some hard questions. And then talk to somebody else if you need help. If you're not sure about the gospel, to ask a friend. And if the two of you together aren't sure, that's when you come talk to me or one of the other elders or one of the deacons. But no, brothers and sisters, the only answer that's going to matter for you or for me as this world continues on its course is are you walking in faith or are you not? If you are, you have nothing to fear and you have the greatest hope 
no matter what is going on around you. If you are not walking in Christ, your end is destruction, your destiny is punishment, and sadly, you will be counted amongst those nations who are to be destroyed. Choose Jesus today. As the worship team makes their way up and we close here with our final song, I want to encourage everyone to bow your heads or raise your heads and hands, whatever it is you need to do to pray, to talk to God, and just share with Him your fears, share with Him your concerns. If you think something's not fair today, tell God about it, and then wait for Him to answer. But let's pray together, and especially if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to talk to God about that too about your, your hang-ups, about why you feel like you can't trust Jesus, or about what it's going to take for you to come to that point and see what God might do in response. Let's spend just a couple of moments in quiet prayer and contemplation together. the big picture. It can be overwhelming, but even, even just our daily lives, the things we encounter at work or in family interactions, the way that the bank account seems to empty out faster than we ever imagined it could, the way that things feel unjust and inequitable, this world is a challenge. It's easy to be scared of government or freaked out by people around us making different choices. Father, you are everlasting. You do not die. You see the big picture. And so we know that you have allowed these things. You have opened the door for these things to come to pass. Help us to trust in your great plan. To know that even what we see in wrong and unjust and wicked is ultimately going to bring good. So Father, we, we ask that we could be like Habakkuk today, to honestly worship you, to honestly lodge with you our complaints, and then to wait and see what you'll do.
Father, we thank you for the promise of ultimate justice, that one day all of this will be made right, and that everything that transpires up into that moment is your way of bringing that justice to pass. Help us to turn to Jesus above all else, to not be arrogant, to not strive to be self-sufficient apart from to not trust in government or the things we consume for our comfort, but instead to be people who live because of our faith in you, Jesus. Thank you for all you did, your perfect life, your sacrificial death, your verifying resurrection.
children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children
it's a privilege to walk with him and share it with others. So do so. That's all I can ask you. Ask the deacons to join me up front and the elders if you guys want to as well. We've got a quick thing to discuss after the service here, so right away after the service to the rest of you. God bless you. We will see you throughout the week and next week. And may you know the presence of your Savior, Richard.